Greetings, and you're listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast, and this is episode number 19. everyone and as usual thank you so much for tuning in. Now I hope you had a positive week because this week I want to talk about something that touches almost all of us or touches people who we know. Now last week I talked about the five things you should do when you first return from holiday And I talked about those things so that you can avoid facing a major downer about how your life looks after your holiday. And I also talked about those things to build on the inspiration you feel about changing your life. Now, the theme of this week's podcast focuses on what happens if that major downer actually happens to go on for a little bit longer or is more than just a downer? What if that major downer you feel when you return from your living your best life in Africa holiday or from the holiday of your choice in a hot country of your choice? What if that major downer is a little bit more than feeling sad or frustrated about having to go back to work or not being able to change your life. What if that downer just stays? This week marks the first in our three-part series on moving beyond low mood and depression to live your best life. And I've broken down the series into three parts. In this week's episode, I'm going to look at identifying and moving beyond depression in our personal lives. Next week's session, we'll look at depression in our working lives. And in my final session, session three, we'll look at moving beyond depression towards creating our business lives. The aim of this theme, this depression and low mood theme, is to get you covered in all aspects of your personal development so that you have as much inspiration as possible to help you move forward in your life choices so you can start to take the steps to begin living your best life. So I hope you find this series useful. So let's move into this week's topic where I want to start by helping you to understand what your mood might be telling you. Now, you may not know this, but black people in the West are much more prone to mental unwellness than white people, and we are much more likely to be sectioned for this. Being sectioned is when the law is used to deprive you of your liberty, usually by placing you into a mental health facility against your will. And this is usually done if you're considered to be a danger to yourself or a danger to others. Now, for black women in the West, mental unwellness is a hidden experience. 
Anxiety disorders are the most common forms of emotional distress or mental unwellness that black women experience. And research also shows that the symptoms of these anxieties are much more chronic and intense for black women. Meaning that if you experience these symptoms, they can be stronger and stay around longer than is the case for white women. And the impact of the helplessness and hopelessness that black women are likely to feel is more likely to go unnoticed. Add to this the stereotypical images of black women as strong or angry or the Jezebel Sketel video gyal. And we have an added problem of how black women are seen, how black women may be seeing themselves and the role played by both these realities in the development of anxieties in black women and the likelihood that black women will stay stuck for much longer with the experience and impact of these stereotypes and their contribution to causing low mood and depression. For black young people, if you are black and young between the ages of 12 and 29, you are much more likely to be living in environments that create feelings of hopelessness and helplessness because of racism and its impact to limit life chances and life choices for black young people. And this is because if you're young and black, you are much more likely to suffer from low mood and depression and even more likely to not even know that you are suffering from these conditions. And if you think that black men escape the ravages of mental unwellness, then you're mistaken. Black men in the UK, for example, are 17 times more likely than white men to be diagnosed with a mental health condition and on top of that are six times more likely to be sectioned. Why? Because unlike black women, where stereotypes are used against black women to avoid recognising that black women feel emotional pain, the opposite is the case for black men. For black men, stereotypes are used to justify locking black men up and depriving black men of their liberty en masse. Black men are stereotyped as being violent, savage, hypersexualized, drug-taking and criminal. And it is these types of stereotypes that drive power relationships between authority representatives like the police or the courts or teachers or doctors and black men. And that difference in the power relationship leads to black men being overrepresented in mental health facilities and prison. And in most cases, being in these facilities without any recognition of their emotional health needs. Because the real priority for locking black men up is to protect white people from him. And in all cases of emotional unwellness for black young people, black women and black men, it has long been the case that even if you are diagnosed with a mental health condition, you're unlikely to find culturally appropriate mental health services and so you're still stuck. Now, when we're talking about low mood and depression, these conditions can often start off with just feeling restless in your life 
or feeling ungrounded or directionless because although you know there is something more to your life, you feel stuck or you can't explain how you feel or you just have general anxieties that manifest a self-doubt or judgment of yourself for feeling good or bad. When these feelings stay around, but you are still able to mask them, or you feel stuck and your moods hover between being just okay, or faking it to make it, or just generally feeling low for a few hours or days over a short period of time, then you're likely to find that after a few hours or days, you're still able to find a way to get on with your main priorities. And so if you experience feelings like this, then you're more likely to be experiencing what is called low mood or generalised anxieties. This low mood can also come about when you reach a period in your life where you're overwhelmed by the collision of various markers in your life. For example, this can come in your 20s when you're dealing with the impact of the education, work or life choices that you have made. But you realise that you don't fit into those choices anymore. And yet all these people's expectations are on your back. Or low mood can come as a form of midlife crisis. I mean, how many times have we seen or known people who have had midlife crises where they feel trapped by those choices Or they realise that the sacrifices that they've made to make things work and secure for everybody else in their life has left them feeling without a real, meaningful or fulfilling vision of themselves. And then there's low mood that comes from loneliness. This is when you suddenly turn around and realise that there is no one or little, if anything, in your life that drives any real meaning or joy in your life. These three are examples of how low mood can creep up on you and take hold of your life. However, when these types of low mood feelings just stay and really begin to impact on your life to the extent that these types of feelings affect your ability to function, you could be dealing with something else. You could be dealing with depression. Depression is much more than simply feeling unhappy or fed up for a few hours or a few days. As we said earlier, if you feel moody or down for a few hours or a few days, then you're likely to be suffering from a bout of low mood. And that's something that everybody suffers from because none of us have that perfect life. But if you're suffering from depression, then you're going to feel persistently sad for weeks or even months rather than a few hours or a few days. It's a common and serious mental illness that can negatively affect how you feel, the way you think and how you act. Now, if you're suffering from symptoms of depression, then your symptoms can vary from mild to severe and can include things like feeling sad or having a depressed mood, losing interest or pleasure in activities that you used to enjoy. It can involve changes in appetite with weight loss or weight gain, even when you're not dieting. You can have trouble sleeping and you can even sleep too much. 
You can have a loss of energy or an increase in fatigue and tiredness. You can find yourself doing purposeless activity like pacing up and down or wringing your hands and not really knowing why you're doing it. Your movement can be slow and your speech can also be slow to the extent that other people might notice. You might even have feelings of worthlessness or guilt and you might experience difficulty thinking, concentrating or making decisions and you can even have thoughts of death or suicide. Now, if you recognise these symptoms, it may be time for you to support yourself into accepting that you may need some help and support. The starting place, I always say, should be a good friend or someone who you can trust to support you through the initial destabilisation that you might feel. Once you feel supported and held up, the next step when you're dealing with depression might then be to visit your GP for more specialised help and support. Now, when you go to see your GP, the GP is going to expect that your symptoms must have lasted at least two weeks with full on feelings like those I described. Without that, no one in the medical profession is going to be thinking about a diagnosis of depression. They're more likely to diagnose you with low mood. Now, when you get a diagnosis of depression, what your doctor or health practitioner is really telling you is that you may well have a chemical dysfunction in your brain. And when you have that, that is a clinical condition called depression and that may well need to be treated using specialised medication. We're not just talking about some feeling bad episode you're going through. When you have a diagnosis of depression, then your general practitioner, your GP, is telling you that there is a chemical imbalance in your brain. And that chemical imbalance is causing the condition that you feel. Now, the first step to a path of wellness when you're dealing with low mood or depression is to acknowledge that not all anxieties and periods of mental unwellness, mood swings and depressive episodes are the same or have the same root causes as everyone else. And once you recognise that, it follows that no one way out will work or will work in the same way for everyone. I guess what I'm trying to say is that the struggle is real to free ourselves from the prisons of our own mind, particularly when the public help space can often come across as less than approachable and a bit preachy. Then we can often find it difficult to find a service that fits. You come across a vast array of personal development books, self-help courses, networking events, treatments, and so on and so on. And then there are people, sometimes from our own families, who talk about self-help as if you can just read the answer off the back of a cereal box and then just get on with it. Because what they really want is for you to arrive at that happy person they want you to be. When you're genuinely ready to look for help for low mood and depressive episodes, 
you may need to try a few approaches. In other words, you might have to kiss a few frogs and try out the people delivering that help to find one that fits. Because the most important thing to note here is that the relationship between you and your helper is where the real change takes place. Oftentimes we think that it's the level of education a professional has that will deliver the help that we need. But that's not true. If you don't feel a sense of trust or belonging or association with your helper, no matter how qualified your helper is, no matter how good their help might seem, it won't work for you because you can't associate with them. And this is one of the key areas that keeps black people stuck in mental health cycles because those who have the power to define services do not respect the importance of finding a service or a person that fits with you. So having got all of that out of the way, I now want to look at what help might look like. And what I want you to know is that whilst the realities of low mood and depressive episodes might seem a little bleak, it's important for us to talk about early intervention. For me, that means talking about our emotional health and the importance of recognising that not all may be well with you at an early stage. Because if you recognise it at an early stage, you can at least try to do something about it before it escalates into a chronic disorder or a deprivation of liberty experience. Because remember, when you're living in a racist society, if you suffer from a mental health illness, the impact of that is going to be all the more stronger against you being able to live your best life. So we have to focus on early intervention because once you focus on early intervention, moving through your low mood or depressive episode is not as bad as sometimes you make yourself feel or is not as bad as how you feel. Sometimes you just need to give yourself permission to have the space you need to see that you are in a challenging place and then try to understand what's going on before allowing the self-shaming to creep in and beat you or allowing family members who, you know, genuinely want the best for you to sort of shove you back into fake happiness. Look, if you're not happy, then you're not happy. And acknowledging that is the first step to finding a healing path out of that unhelpful space. Because sometimes you just need to give your brain space to process what's going on with you. Once you've done that, if you're ready and the emphasis is on getting back to wellness so you can start to live your best life, then you have to aim to move on from processing what's going on. And what I want to do is to give you some pointers that can help you to get started in your moving on process. 
So if you recognise yourself or your moods in the definitions of low mood and depression that I've talked about, then if you feel a bit of resistance to moving on from that low mood or depressive episode, then ask yourself why. No one else knows you like you. So ask yourself why. Sit down and ask yourself what stories you're telling yourself about yourself. Think about what kind of thoughts you're having about yourself and what those thoughts are making you feel about yourself. It follows that if you sit there with low mood and depression and then you scandalise yourself, you call yourself names, then it follows that if you're telling yourself stories like that about yourself, then those stories are unlikely to help you to get up off your knees. You have to make a decision based on whether those stories will get you to your purpose or will get you to the help of someone who you trust. Because if they don't, then they're no good for you. So it's important to reflect on the way you may be speaking to yourself because sometimes the way we speak to ourselves when we're in pain has the ability to amplify or diminish our emotions. It can also diminish how we feel about ourselves or how we feel about something that's important to us. When you're having a negative or overwhelming thought, Write it down. Once you've written it down, look at it and ask yourself, is this true? Is this true about me? Am I 100% certain that what I am saying about myself is true? How does what I've written make me feel? Do I think these feelings will keep me from my purpose in this world? What if I tell myself the opposite? of what I think about myself. Will that help? So if I'm saying that I'm worthless or stupid, what if I tell myself the opposite, that I am wonderful, that I am great, that I have a chance, that I have a shot? What would that do to me? At the very least, it should tell you that you are not your thoughts and you're worth more than that. You can choose to feel the negative or positive thoughts about yourself. The choice is yours and it takes just as much energy to do both. In the moment when your thoughts are challenging you to feel something negative, challenge yourself to do the opposite and to feel the opposite. Ask yourself if your actions by feeling the opposite and thinking the opposite can move you positively through your low mood or depressive episode and whether you can be a happy and willing participant in the process of change you want to make and tell yourself that you can be. You remember that saying, be the change you want to see. So is what you're telling yourself helping you to be a willing participant in the change you're telling yourself that you can be? And if it is, then push yourself with love like no one is watching you or judging you. Push yourself on because you are your greatest cheerleader. You are your greatest supporter. Get people out of your life who are not supporting you in a meaningful way. 
Replace those people with people who take a positive role in your life. You don't want them to be your therapist. But what you do want is someone who is okay about helping you to make the doubts go away and to make the clouds move out of the way enough for you to be able to get through your day or enough to encourage and support you to get the help today. If you're at the stage where you feel like you're ready to get that help, then if you're thinking of something like therapy, then I want you to see therapy as a bit like getting an emotional x-ray. I mean, imagine if you fell and you thought that you'd broken your ankle. You might sit with the pain for a while, but when that pain stops you from being able to go carnival or being able to go to a concert to see your favourite artist, then you're likely to think to yourself, do you know what? I need to go for an x-ray so that I can find out what's really going on with my ankle. I can look beyond the surface in the x-ray and look at what's really happening under the skin. And then you go for the x-ray and you experience the relief when the x-ray gives you an idea of what's wrong and what you need to do to fix your ankle. Well, the same thing can be said for fixing our mind the right kind of therapy and the right kind of therapist can be like getting an emotional x-ray. And once we have that emotional x-ray, the right x-ray, we can start to uncover what's beneath the surface and the cause of our current state of mind. When you look at therapy in this way, you can see the purpose of therapy much more clearly in your own mind and it helps to reduce the resistance you might have to attending an initial consultation with a therapist. And so if you get over that stage and you accept, okay, I need therapy, then what I want you to think about is how you go about making sure you have the right match. You're no longer confined to sitting with the wooden therapist in the chair who you can't relate to. Therapy has moved online. And if you want more information about that, then drop me a line. Inbox me using my social media sites and I'll speak to you directly and give you the information so that you can link with a therapist online. What you need to do is to work on developing your emotional resilience. When you're thinking about emotional resilience, think about it in terms of emotional muscles. You know, if I said you're working on the muscles in your arm, you would know what to do to strengthen those muscles and you would know what strong muscles look like. Well, sometimes it's difficult to see what your emotional muscles look like. But if you think about it, have a picture in your mind of what emotional muscles look like. And that's what I mean when I say that we have to work on developing emotional resilience so that you develop the ability to talk about things that get you down and things that you've achieved and accomplished. Sometimes when our wellness goals are secret, we tend to be afraid that people will watch us and judge us. But talking about it helps to develop those emotional muscles. 
And when we start developing those emotional muscles, we start to talk and sing and dance like nobody's watching because we're past caring. It's all about trying to be the best us we can be, the best me I can be on that particular day. Find that special person who'll listen to you and listen to your journey and be honest and open and supportive of you as you're talking. Their job is to support you to get in touch with who you are, what you stand for, help you to develop those emotional muscles and help you to be the real you, just you. It's good to understand that the mind and the brain are two different things. Your mind controls how you think and feel, but it's your brain that is the listening and action agent. That's why sometimes you might feel like your body can move, but you don't have that thought to make you move. And that's why you need to pay special loving attention to your mind and how your mind feels so that you can get early warning signs that your mind might need your loving attention. At the end of all of this, if you remain stuck where you are, noticing that you're not moving and noticing that your lack of movement is beginning to make you feel bad about yourself, it may be time to get some help. Ultimately, whatever you are experiencing, be kind to yourself and give yourself time to make that first step. But don't take too long because if you take too long, it begins to cost you all the positive things in your life that you love. And that doesn't help anyone. It does not help us to deprive the world of you. Until next week, you've been listening to the Living Your Best Life in Africa podcast. My name is Dr. Asha and I'm out. Mm-hmm.